I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Wanarua people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Those awards, which are, you know, when you're, it's recognition by your peers, so you, you've been nominated and then voted on by, by your peers, they're, they're, they're the ones that sort of really, you know, pull the heartstrings. So. Successfully seeing fruit come in and um, go to bottle and being really happy with the wines that have come out, there's a, there's a lot of blood, sweat, tears and, and worry that go into, into the seasons. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Scarborough Winery is an institution of the Hunter Valley. Perhaps it's due to its long history and foundations in the region, or maybe in part because Jerome Scarborough and Liz Riley make one hell of a team. Today, I'm joined by the dynamic duo. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jerome. Thanks for joining me. Good morning. Hello. Wonderful to have you with us. Uh, Between the two of you, I can probably ask every single viticultural and winemaking question I've ever dreamed of. Thank you so much for making the time. Not a problem. It's nice to be here. Jerome, perhaps you can start us off and take us back to how Scarborough Winery kind of all began. Uh, look, I guess yeah, it's uh, through my mother and father, Ian Merrily. Um, you know, they uh, met when my father was going through Roseworthy Ag College, which at that stage had a winemaking course. Um, they met on the side of the road when my uh, father broke down. Uh, sorry, my mother broke down on her way into town one day and uh, my father just happened to be driving by and, and help, helped out the damsel in distress. Um, you know, fast forward a, a few years once they were married, um, you know, they were mate, my father was making wine in the Brossa Valley and he was actually um, on his way up to Brisbane to visit his sister um, <clears throat> and they happened to just, um, you know, do a bypass through to the Hunter to see how, you know, to have a look at, the, you know, one of the other winemaking regions of, of Australia and, and essentially fell in love with the Hunter at that point because, you know, around Christmas time, you know, the although, you know, the Barossa Valley, et cetera, is you know, very beautiful there, you know, everything's starting to dry out uh, around that time, whereas the Hunter is generally green and lush uh, at that time of year. So, and essentially from that point, they decided that uh, they wanted to, to uh, try to move up to the Hunter. Uh, Dad ended up with a, a, a job up in, in the Hunter Valley with Talic Wines and made wine for them for about uh, eight years and then essentially went out on his own and, and in 1984 started Scarborough Wine Company with my mother and I guess essentially the rest is history. Wow, 1984. I can't believe that that's how they actually met with uh, her breaking down on the side of the room. That really only happens in movies, I thought, but... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, it was actually a, 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 the car he was in was a car full of, um, you know, winemaking talent of Australia. So Philip Shaw, uh, Neville Falkenberg uh, and a few others, you know, so it was it was actually quite, you know, you know fortuitous. So. Well, he had a bit of competition too. So the, the best man won. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think so, yes. <laughs> Your father, um, Ian, or Scarby, as he's kind of known in the Hunter Valley, he's really a foothold. What are your fondest memories of working with him, you know, as a child or, or in your teenage years? Uh, look, I get, you know, um, my first me- memory is sort of, I guess, the winery was uh, at, at Tullock's. Um, one night I'd gone out, you know, I was probably four or five years old. Uh, Mum was with me. I was sort of in my, my Jimmy Jams, um, you know, had the, the like the, the uh, leopard skin uh, slippers on uh, and so on. And uh, we'd sort of just gone up to say goodnight to Dad and they were crushing some fruit coming through and um, <clears throat> right next to the crusher there was a 
sight glass um, so that you could see as the musk came through to go into the winery to make sure everything was working right. And one of the cellar hands must have accidentally closed off a valve, which they shouldn't have uh, closed off. And we were standing around there sort of saying goodnight to Dad and so on, and all of a sudden the, um, the sight glass uh, exploded and we were covered in uh, grape musk, you know, like so head to toe um, in sticky, you know, crushed grapes and... Uh, and that, I guess, you know, that was sort of my, you know, my first real memory. Um, and it wasn't a bad memory. It was actually quite exciting for me that, you know, wow, you know, all this, the hustle and bustle and these sorts of things can can happen. And that that's sort of, I guess, when I I can remember wanting to, you know, be a winemaker um, and, you know, thinking, yeah, you know, this is the type of thing I'd, I'd like to do. But then I get, you know, through the years, um, you know, just the, 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 the knowledge and experience that, you know, Dad does have. Um, through, you know, um, what it be 50 plus vintages in the Hunter now. Um, you know, the the ability, the wines he's allowed me to see um, through the years, you know, be it, you know, Australia and the, you know, Australian wines through to European wines and, you know, other wines of the world. It's, you know, all of those things. But you know, as much as anything, the most important thing is his experience um, and knowledge about what sort of we need to do in the Hunter, you know, not just in the good years, but also in the, the difficult years, um, you know, so that, you know, you can continue to produce wine. So, yeah. Mm. You know, I've seen your father speak a few times and he seems to be from the outset a, a real gentle giant. But when he does stand up to speak, you really do see a bit of a hush throughout the room and, and people really kind of hanging on his every word. Yeah. Oh, th- that's right. He, you know, he's a man of few words, but when he, you know, when he does speak, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, he, it's well, it's well thought out and, uh, you know, and there's not, not much, um, you know, uh, padding to what he talks about. It's, you know, to the point and, uh, you know, very, you know, always useful information. Oh, I wish I had a little bit of that kind of sense. That sounds like something I could learn from. <laughs> Liz, you fell into the wine industry more by accident and you met Jerome at Rogersworthy Ag College. How did you get your start? And I'd love to know, what were your first impressions of each other? Um, I fell into the wine industry quite by accident. I had a very botanical grandmother who as a child, you know, we might have spent a weekend planting trees or we might have um, just been doing things with her in her garden or in that nature space making paper. You know, she was always a bit out there, you know, not, not your average grand. Um, and then I started to study horticulture at uni and then went, oh, yeah, maybe that's not quite it. And then literally saw Rose with you on a, a bulletin board. So I grew up in Perth um, and my folks were very supportive and said, yeah, sure, go, you know, and see how, you, how that works out. And I've just kept moving east, so Perth to Roseworthy, Roseworthy to New South Wales, you know, who knows. Um, and then met Jeremy. He was a year behind me at Roseworthy, and I remember uh, literally the first time I laid eyes on him as he cruised on in for orientation and went, oh, that's a bit of all right. So, yeah, um, and uh, funnily enough, I'm just going to get in early here. It's our 26th wedding anniversary tomorrow, so <gasps> it's about that long since we've Thank you, since we've been in the Hunter. So, yeah, it's been a while. And what about you, Jerome? What did you think when you first uh, met Liz? Oh, well, (laughs) I I have to top that, really. But, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, same same thoughts. Yeah, I I remember her because, you know, Liz Liz was on the student union board um, sitting in the foyer at, um, at Roseworthy. 
behind the desk and uh, you know basically the first person I, I met when I, I walked in and and then I think she um, took me off to my dormitory and we had a bit of a bit of a chat along the way and you know it, it, it took another another 12 months from there for us to um, you know I guess uh, you know, um, really uh, start the relationship, but uh, you know had a lot of a lot to do with each other in in between, and yeah, no, it was certainly um, went yeah okay yeah this this is this is <laughs> this is definitely worthwhile having you know to chase after, so yeah, no doubt. Oh, that's incredible. 26 years is something to be so incredibly proud of, especially when you work together as well. That blows my mind. <laughs> Liz, you also consult for many wineries throughout the Hunter Valley in New South Wales via your business Fitbit. What do you get out of working for others on their projects other than occasionally escaping and being able to get away? <laughs> um, oh, look, I think it's it's different perspectives uh, of different growers and clients, but also how you manage risk in different regions because, you know, we, we still have this climate variation and, and you might just see something you go, oh, I can do that or I can do that with a twist and, and that would add value. So that's great. And, and again, it's um, you can ring other people and just bounce an idea around. So a lot of those relationships go from being just a client relationship to become quite, you know, solid friendships and, um, you know, a shared problem is a problem solved. So, yeah, there's a lot to, lot to be gained out of that. This is a question for you both. We've talked a fair bit about Shiraz and Semillon when we talk about the Hunter, but in recent years, Hunter Chardonnay has really been a major topic of conversation, both in restaurants and uh, within sommeliers and and also, I think, in in the general uh, wine audience of Australia. Where does Hunter Valley Chardonnay sit in Australia's offerings and and what what, how does Scarborough approach Chardonnay? Oh... I guess, yeah, because we're a, a warm to hot climate, um, but, you know, within the Hunter, we have a range, you know, where it, it certainly is milder to, to hotter. Um, it, <clears throat> excuse me. It, it gives us uh, a lot of room to play and uh, this different, um, you know, styles within within the Hunter. So, and we go from heavy clay soils to the really fine hourglass uh, sandy soils, and that in itself gives us, um, you know, um, a lot of, um, you know, different flavour profiles and so on. And uh, But, you know, generally, you know, we do sort of see us, we're more that medium to full-bodied style of uh, Chardonnay as as Australia, Australia goes, um, and uh, you know, more generous flavours, fuller, uh, fuller palate, uh, and the like. So you know, I think it gives. You know, we have a um, because of the climate, a bit more room to play. That we and we can sort of you know zero in on sort of separate styles and not sort of uh, restricted to certain styles. In maybe some of the cooler climates are. Yeah, def- definitely. I think that, in my opinion, you know. The Scarborough Yellow Label Chardonnay has been just a pillar of strength throughout the changing Chardonnay landscape of Australia. And it's it's a wine that I remember clocking, you know, 15 years ago when I started in the industry and, and something that I could always rely on to be um, a really solid Chardonnay that had lots of flavour, full-bodied, um, and it's continued now. But you're actually taking a, a little step away and, and looking at your Keepers of the Flame. So run us through the three vintages of, of that new release of Chardonnay. Uh, so I get, yeah, I mean, the, the concept, you know, started uh, a few years ago where I mean, Liz and I, you know, 
we're running around looking at you know, the Scarborough vineyards, but Liz is then looking at other uh, vineyards, um, you know, uh, throughout the Hunter. And there's always, a, you know, especially when uh, the fruit's ripe enough for us to start uh, tasting it, there's always a block where you go, oh, you know, that's really, that's looking quite special or, you know, that's just looking a little bit different, um, you know, how about these flavours, you know, be it soil, clone, site, you know, um, you know, different aspect to the, the, the vine rows and, and so on. And, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of those wines within our holdings and the you know with the vineyards we own and the vineyards that we lease you know the majority of that chardonnay was was going into our yellow label which was great and you know if there's special parcels out there that are going into that that's obviously lifting the the general quality uh, but uh, in uh, you know 2018 there, there was um, you know we, we really started going well hang on let's let's maybe try something a little bit you know, different. Can we do a small parcel? Uh, and then we ended up doing, you know, three small parcels over three years uh, with the 2019, the 2020 and the uh, 2021. Um, and the style has, I guess, evolved with what we're doing with the Chardonnay from where we first started in 2019 through to uh, 2021. Uh, you know, the first first vintage 2019 is a, a selection of barrels out of a particular block um, up in the, the Upper Hunter Vineyard, our Ogilvy's View uh, Vineyard, which is uh, a new, um, uh, a relatively new planting, although the vines are about 25 years old now, are they, Liz? Um, yeah, yep, about that. And the clone there, I can never remember the clone. Um, uh, 95 with a little bit of 96 and 809. Yeah, so so with the with the 809, we really see quite a um, you know, there's a different f- uh, flavour profile there, and so within the the wines, the the wine that was in with um, that we made out of that that uh, particular block, because all all the blocks when we pick them. Uh, throughout all our holdings, we keep them separate within the winery, separate winemaking parcels. That they, they are most of the time end up sort of, I guess, all together for the yellow label Chardonnay. Uh, but it gives us the ability to sort of tweak the wine and the the style. So we're able to do a selection of barrels out of uh, that block uh, in 2019. Um, and uh, it, it was a selection of sort of newer and older oak. Um, then 20 and yeah, so 2019 sort of gave us that. Oh, okay, you know, we we can sort of pick this more elegant, um, you know, style of, of Chardonnay. Uh, not as much oak as what we traditionally do in our, you know, our yellow label and our obsessive Chardonnay. So then 2020 came along and we sort of just tweaked it a little bit. What we did is we then selected a, another another block um, from as Liz and I sort of did our once weekly drive around, um, you know, our little sort of hot date once a week, um, running around all the, the, the blocks. And that came out from our... Um, our Brankston uh, block, um, and uh, there's a, uh, oh, sorry, I should say our, our cottage block, um, uh, and that there's a, a newer clone, uh, which is uh, 548, um, and that, that all, again, you know, but 2020, very difficult year, drought, uh, and then uh, bushfires and the like, but uh, so it's um, a little bit fuller than the 19 was, and then um, 2021, we basically uh, ran with that one um, from the same block again out at the cottage block, the 548. Um, but it pretty much the wines now hit uh, style-wise 
when we first started where I was sort of kind of had in my head um, where I, I would like the wine to be, which is, you know, not the exact opposite to essentially our house style, uh, but more elegant, you know, a bit of struck match, um, you know, nice full um, palate, you know, white, you know, fruit weight, a um, little bit of oak there, but not not the sort of, you know, defining character of the wine and the like, so. How That sounds so exciting, but it's also really um, clever, I think, to, to have your complete different tiers. And I really appreciate that in, in the Scarborough portfolio. There really seems to be something for everyone um, from from the ground up, from the wines and the different um, tiers that you have down to the tasting experience when someone comes to your cellar door as well. And and I think that it's been very a very thoughtful approach to how you say, you know, I want everyone to get something out of of, of your wines and there's something for everyone there. Does a lot of thought go into how you communicate what you do at Scarborough? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I guess, um, yeah, that that's really my sister's um, portfolio, what she does, um, Sally. Uh, and, you know, she does that very well. Um, and, uh, you know, so from, you know, through how we do it uh, in the cellar door with, you know, the face-to-face, uh, you know, um, tutored tastings that we do in the cellar door through to what we do, um, you know, in the social media and I guess the e-commerce, you know, e- emails going out to customers and so on. And, you yeah, because it's really, I guess, you know, wine uh, for a lot of people can be a bit intimidating. You know, there's a lot of variables there um, within wine and, and sometimes it can be, you know, really difficult to decide what, you know, what style of wine you do like, what you don't like, what variety, you know, should a wine be old, should it be younger, you know, um, should it be chilled, how cold it should be, um, you know, what food you should have it with. And I guess what we we try to do is, you know, demystify all, all, all of that because, I mean, if someone's feeling comfortable about picking a wine, they're more likely to uh, drink that whether they're at home or at a restaurant or at a friend's place or, or whatever it may be. And I think, you know, Sally does that very well with all those sort of, you know, what we do in the cell at all face-to-face, but the other things that we communicate out to people as well. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's you're right. It's so important and and if everybody can, you know, feel comfortable and enjoy wine then we're kind of winning for everybody. But um the hunter is you you touched on in those last few years, particularly 19, 20 and 21. Uh it's such a, a region of extreme temperatures. I suppose this is a question maybe for you Liz. What are the major pressures of vintage and how do you combat them to achieve quality wine? Oh, I have a toolbox um, and, and different seasons need different things. So, you know, we, we started this season actually with super wet conditions and um, I added helicopters to my toolbox for for early season um, protectant fungicide. As you do. As you do. Yeah, <laughs> something I never thought would happen. Um, but it was the appropriate tool for us to preserve the ground and avoid compaction early and then we were able to um, get really good access back on and um, commence normal ground spraying. And now we've had, I think, only three rain days in the last four weeks, which is fabulous, and we're back to irrigating. We're talking about the potential need to use sunscreen on a couple of blocks, which is just a really lovely inert clay that just coats our canopies and fruit with a white film um, to, to protect and keep things cool. Because the vines have had you know quite a tender season, they're a little bit more vulnerable um, so probably getting sunburnt a bit the same as us if we you know hadn't spent much time outside and suddenly you go out there on the 40 degree day you get cooked so 
we just keep delving through that toolbox and you and you play with it and you adjust it and and even our irrigation strategy is is quite um light and conservative at the moment it's just little sips regularly rather than big deep irrigations because we're just trying to keep things holding as opposed to rampantly growing so um you know it's it's just attention to detail yeah when you talk about things i like to think when I'm listening to this podcast that we, you know, involve everybody, when you're talking about something like spraying something like sun cream, a lot of people's thoughts are, well, doesn't that sun cream then go into the wine? Can you explain a little bit about that? And then also helicopters, you know, we've seen helicopters used to kind of disperse um, kind of mist and kind of fog. How, explain exactly how you're using those just for, just for everybody. Yeah, okay, so I'll start with sunscreen. That's Sunscreen is um, kaolin clay, like you would use to make pottery or a makeup base. You know, it's a, it's a natural, you know, soil sort of structured base product. And basically the people who manufacture that commercially um, for our industry and agriculture in general, it, they cook it and they make it hard. They then mill it finely and it's a super fine clay powder and we just apply that with a normal fungicide cart. Um, we have to apply it below 28 degrees, otherwise it dries before it hits the vine. So you put it on early in the day if you think there's going to be a heat event and it's inert. So then when we process our fruit, you know when you, you can have cloudy or clear apple juice, when we press wine grapes for, for white wine, they, they've got that cloudiness. All that solid material and the clay just settles out to the bottom of the tank in that first day or so after crushing and pressing. So it it we, it's not it doesn't end up in the wine, um, but but it doesn't have any impact either. It, it's just another like like adding a bag of sand really. Um, so no great dramas. Um, so we would normally apply um, really simple early season protectant fungicides to keep fungal disease away, particularly when it's wet. So normally copper and sulfur, nothing too complex. Um, and so this year. We um, did that with some helicopters. So they, uh, we, we had maps. We, you know, there's quite a bit of preparation. We GPS maps and that goes into the pilot's um, iPad that I presume is connected to his helicopter. I didn't go up in the helicopter. Um, and, and we're just using that same chemistry applied at a very low rate. Um, they were very um, nimble and amazing, literally just flying above the top of the trellis posts. So... Um, you know, it's not the kind of practice we would do all season. It was really, you know, it was a, a short-term measure while we had small canopies and little bits of leaf just to get protected on it while the heavens kept being open and kept raining. So, yeah, not not a long-term proposition but definitely helped us out and gave us another three or four weeks for that ground to dry out and, and us not to um, impact on our soil structure. See, now you said that so much better than I ever would, so I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> Liz, this might be a little bit of a controversial one for you, but what what would you say to people that talk about uh, perhaps wines um, and natural wines or wines that haven't had any kind of intervention? How do you approach that when you do what you do and you know is what you know? Um, you know, how what what is your response to to people that talk about um, wines that haven't had any any kind of um, agrochemicals or anything used? Uh, I think it's about time and place. If you know, you, there are some regions and climates where there's certainly that possibility of lower input, or maybe a few regions where there's no input. I think for me, understanding our weather patterns and what drives certain diseases. 
um, in the hunter, there's there's really a level of intervention required if you want to successfully get a crop off. Um, I, I think this year would be one of those years. Had we not intervened with, with with anything, you would have had no no leaves on your vine at the moment at all. So, you know, if you're in a um, place that has a dry drier spring summer, um, certainly a possibility, but not not in the rainfall pattern where we are. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to approach this. It, it is all about what what you're producing in what region and and what you know cultural weather patterns you're kind of looking at. It's all about it's all about place, isn't it? And 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 you're also weighing up your impacts. So sometimes for me, um, selection of certain chemistry might mean that I don't have to traffic that vineyard again for two to three weeks, versus if I use different chemistry, which is shorter term, I might have to go in more often. So. It's a bigger picture than just looking at the sustainability aspect from what bit of chemistry. It's also about, you know, energy and labour um, and impact on the greater vineyard ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, even labour, you know, that something like having lots of pickers come in, you know, that certainly has an imprint um, just in terms of feeding and housing people. So there's always like, you know, there's ebbs and flows of, of, of every action that you take, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yep. When it comes to Scarborough, it's clear that family is like a hugely important part of your lives. How do you approach continuing a family legacy? What have you done with your children? Are they interested in wine? How do you go forth with, you know, wanting to continue passing down that kind of knowledge and also something like a winery perhaps to your children? Uh, I'll start with the, they're definitely very keen wine consumers. I suspect they um, drink better than your average 19 and 22-year-old. And we we are trying to certainly do the same things that that Ian and Merrily did for us and share great wines with them and bring them on the journey and, you know, expose them to different varieties and regions and vintages. Um, And that's a lovely thing to do. And I know Ian um, certainly enjoys it when the kids are home to, to do the same thing. So uh, they are flirting with it. Callum, our eldest, is currently working um, in Central Otago, having a twelve-month vineyard internship in a in a different place, which is great, and he's loving that. Uh, and our youngest is doing um, arts and science in Sydney at uni. So uh, we, we'll wait and see. But yeah, certainly no pressure from us at the moment to come home. We'd, we'd really like them to go and find their feet on their own. Yeah, I just going to say, look, I mean, um, you know. They need to, as Liz said, find their own feet and um, you know uh, get get their experience and and the like. And if if there happens to be an interest in coming back to the family business, great. And there, there will always be an opening there. And and yeah, we we will structure the business to allow allow for that. Um, but yeah, you know, they they certainly need to, um, I guess, earn their stripes first. Um, you know, get get the experience of the world, um, uh, and you know, and and enjoy life um, before coming back to you know, if they do, back to a family business. I, you know, I think it's um, that life experience um, within a business like ours uh, is like is is very important. I love that approach and I can't believe how consistent it is for a lot of um, wineries and winemaking families to have that approach. I, I feel like perhaps if people were in lawyers, you know, within families or, or medical professionals, if they had that approach, perhaps more people would come back to, to family businesses by just letting them have that life experience. So I commend you for that because I think it, it's very big of you and also um, 
uh, scary as well in case they do decide that, you know, they want to be a professional skateboarder or whatever it may be, <laughs> a rock star. Exactly. <laughs> um, you both appear very much to be grow into growing and cooking. You've got a beautiful kitchen garden there. And I was actually looking on your website and I, I almost was late just because I was checking out um, some of the recipes on there, actually. What does Christmas dinner look like in the Scarborough household? Uh, well, I'm in charge of salads um, and – and I keep saying I'm a bit non-committal about what they'll be because it really depends what's ripe in the veggie patch. But we are tracking nicely for tomatoes and burrata and basil salads, um, amongst others. Uh, it'll be a cold lunch this year. We're down in Newcastle, so um, some lovely seafood. Uh, you've got to have ham, obviously. And the signature dish will be Sally's um, white chocolate macadamia white peach trifle. Holy moly. That sounds delicious. And I, I, I do a bit of uh, curing as well. So we, we, you know, potentially there will be a ham, uh, you know, homemade ham and uh, a, a whole bunch of uh, securitary. So um, as well. So it's just sitting in the uh, in the the uh, curing uh, fridge vault at the moment. So I'm, I'm hoping that they'll be uh, that they'll be ready to go come Christmas. Oh, it sounds amazing. And I have to say, you know, like I, I'm normally in charge of salads too, Liz, and I actually think it's one of the most exciting parts. Firstly, because like you said, you've got just have to figure out what's what's in season and kind of look at what's good as well. But like you said, you can kind of kind of pre-prepare it and then like throw it together and, you know, enjoy your gin or whatever or whatever you're drinking on the day. But cured meat sounds amazing. I need to get someone in my family into doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a lot easier than people think, um, but yeah, you, know, you need you you need to make sure you get uh, it right. So, but it, it is good fun. And what do you think you'll be drinking on the table? Do you have uh, do you have the classic sparkling Shiraz with your um, ham, or or are you drinking Scarborough wines, or do you like to to throw the boat out and drink something completely different? Yeah, look, it's um, from across the world, basically, and uh, part part of it is is you know um, my my mother merrily really enjoys her French champagne, so there there will certainly be um, some uh, uh, top end uh, French bubbles um, sort of on the list to start to start the day for uh, breakfast and then for lunch. Uh, and then, you know, it, it just really depends what's what's to hand. Um, but uh, you know, whether it's you know uh, Eden Valley Riesling or you know um, you know Pinot from uh, Tassie or the Yarra Valley or you know from Burgundy and so on, it'll 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 just basically what yeah. You know, there there'll be several dozen uh, wine taken down, um, and then uh, depending on what the uh, the final the final menu is, it'll we'll sort of uh, match it as we go along. And we have – there is a bit of gin action going on these days. So um, now that the kids are both old enough to legally drink, um, there may be some little gin um, cocktails in between courses. So good. I mean, this is the fun part of Christmas, isn't it? Thinking what are we eating and what are we drinking and how do we extend that session of half an hour meal to, you know, multiple hours. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to ask, is there a day or a memory that stands out as one of the highlights for you both of working together in the wine industry? Um, oh, look, I think it's seeing each other, um, you know, have those achievements, you know, either locally with um, some recognition and, and Jeremy was viticulturalist of the year locally this year. That was that was pretty special. Um, 
but I think it's just successfully saying fruit come in and um, go to bottle and being really happy with the wines that have come out. There's a there's a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and and worry that go into into the season. So that's that's kind of it, really. Yeah, well, and thankfully that comes around once a year. But I, I think for me, when uh, Liz got the Graham Gregory Award, I think that was something very, very special. Oh, you both have had, in fact, in the whole family, there was too many awards for me to mention. I, first of all, I thought I'm going to have to make sure I remember, you know, exactly all the names of these awards. But I got to a certain point, I was like, no, I can't mention all of those. <laughs> they know what they've done. Yeah. They're pretty incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that those awards, which are you know, when you it's recognition by your peers, so you, you've been nominated and then voted on by by your peers. They they they're the ones that sort of really you know pull the heartstrings. So yeah, and you know I think um, because we don't we're not in each other's pockets each day. The the day a week at the moment we go out to vineyards together um, are really nice. You know, some days we drop in at the local. Uh, bakery come Cafe Fork and, and we'll have brekkie together between vineyards and I, I think it's a shared vision so it's it's nice we, we can have a fairly robust debate maybe about how to skin the cat but we'll um, we work I, I think we bring different things to the table so I'm not particularly mechanical and I might go could you do that and I, I get a bit of an eye roll and then I can see Jeremy process it and go well yeah okay let's take it this way and that that combined solution is better. So, you know, that's that's pretty nice to be able to do that together and, um, you know, then and then share in the victory when it pays off. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the banter. I'm, I'm sure I'd be left far behind if the two of you were talking about uh, what you're doing. I'd be like, I, I, need a, I need a Google Translate for something like this. I don't know what they're talking about. Viddy <laughs> <laughs> Translate, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it, it's, it's interesting how much our kids have actually sort of, you know, picked up through the years where they've been around the, the dinner table with us and so on and, and you know, sometimes like – um, I was out to dinner with my daughter last night, and uh, we had a you know, a very nice meal and a couple of nice wines, and just the that sort of uh, knowledge Hannah sort of absorbed, and just talking about the different things and the wine styles and and so on. And you know, it was it was really nice to see that you know that she's not she's not just sitting there always sitting on a phone flicking through all the different things. She is actually you know tuning in and so on. So yeah. Well, they're very, very lucky to have the, the both of you and also to be born into a, to the family, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I ask everybody on the podcast if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? Liz, do you want to start us off? Uh, uh, so, look, I think for me it would be pretty hard to take a cold beer off the list, you know, coming in during vintage or after mowing the lawn. You know, that's, that's always going to be there. Uh, I do always have that desert island conversation where I go, if I could only take two grape varieties, what would they be? And I think I would have to take um, a crispy Riesling and uh, probably, I know it sounds just a bit too tame, but probably a Shiraz. You know, you can do so much with it, you know, a bit fortified, a lovely red for when it's colder in winter. But as you mentioned, a little sparkling Shiraz doesn't go astray from time to time. Uh, I guess for me, uh, I guess yeah, a gin and tonic, um, and obviously there's a wide variety of what you can do there, or a gin and mixer. Um, then uh, I guess I then also then sort of I guess fall to uh, two wine varieties or styles. So Hunter Valley Semillon, uh, you know, be it young or old, I think it's it's always a, a great wine and it suits so many uh, food styles. Um, 
And then I guess the final, the final one. Um, yeah, I, I really sort of. Yeah, there's so many other things I'd like to choose, and you know, sort of all equal to each other. But I, you know, a good Barolo is really hard to beat. Um, you know, uh, you know, again, you know, sort of the not early drinking, but, you know, four or five years of age and then, you know, something that's got a serious amount of age on it. I, I think they're, you know, they're truly complex, interesting wines. So. And look, between the two of you, you've covered off a lot. This is why you're so complimentary. I see it now. This is how you get to 26 years. That desert island, it's got it covered for all the drinks. <laughs> yeah, I, I could work with that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for coming on the podcast and chatting to us both. Um, have a wonderful holiday season. And I hope I see you up in up in um, in your winery or perhaps uh, up in the Hunter at sometime soon. I, I don't, don't doubt that our paths will cross again. Very good. Fabulous. Thanks for the chat. You're welcome anytime. Thanks so much. Cheers to you both. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.